Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of whatever the fuck this is. I'm sure I'm going to come up with a title in the upcoming hour, maybe hour and a half after I've finished recording this, but uh, yeah. I suppose this is going to be primarily combat sports related, uh, combat sports news, combat sports uh, like Twitter beefs. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'll figure it out as I go along. Uh, you shouldn't take this seriously because uh, I'm not. <laughs> and uh, to prove this, uh, to really hammer the point home, I'm actually recording this on my phone. <laughs> and uh, this is why you probably can hear like various, like all kinds of background noise, and you'll hear them in the uh, in the upcoming hour. So I apologize in advance. You can always turn this off. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not asking you to listen to this thing. But yeah, what spurred this on is that uh, there's. If you hadn't noticed, there's currently lots of weird things happening with MMA, uh, in particular, in the world of combat sports. Uh, with the uh, from weird from the sport getting allegedly weirdly political. Uh, by allegedly, I mean. Of course, uh, I'm talking about the concept that sport uh, has always been political in some way or another, and it's just it's just kind of the current political climate and the elections season just kind of bringing this out um, for everyone to see. Uh, all sorts of online drama, all sorts of uh, various unsavory things happening, fighters being. Uh, Fighters being ousted as uh, either racists, abusers, neo-Nazis, conspiracy nuts, or all various combinations thereof. If this made you want to log off and die, I don't blame you. It's how I feel every day. I suppose I could call this thing MMA blackpilled. <laughs> Seeing as uh, basically what's per the sum is that I kind of want to talk about things that really genuinely personally offend me or annoy me in the world of combat sports, which is a bit of a uh, a bit of an audience alienating premise, I suppose. But uh, bear with me. I'm not here to preach. I'm not here to uh, like use this format as a soapbox to stand on and uh, talk about like uh, and yell about that uh, you should care about the planet you should care about uh, things happening on the other side of the of the globe uh, care about conspiracy notice in sports because really there's just this these people are just dime a dozen and sports has always been uh, a venue for all sorts of all sorts of weird characters and uh, odious personalities uh, to congregate in. And given the state of... Uh, given the cultural, I suppose, peculiarities of the um, uh, United States of America, where people tend to kind of uh, willingly give platform to various celebrities and spurts... Sp spurts. <laughs> and sports people to spurt out... Uh, really sort of out there kinds of opinions uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't really be surprised that uh, the whole thing kind of kind of exploded with the coming of the information age and uh, the age of social media because by its nature the internet allows uh, people with uh, let's say, niche tastes to find like-minded people and form groups. And those groups uh, do their best to try and normalize their way of thinking to, in order to feel accepted because they've been ostracized for so long. Which is, I suppose, a bit of a double-edged sword. Uh, but um, you already know this. I'm sure the audience, whatever audience they made me, uh, is fairly internet savvy at this point, so I'm not going to explain it uh, 
to explain it in overt detail and or go too deep into this whole thing. And now I just realized that I haven't introduced myself properly. So for a bit of a background rundown, uh, my name is Iggy and uh, I've been a combat sports fan for not a, an extraordinarily long time. <laughs> it's uh, essentially just uh, two, maybe two and a half years. Uh, I've been exposed to combat sports since I was a child and I've been uh, training in combat sports uh, for quite a bit, but uh, it's never been something like something I dedicated my life to or something that's been uh, like in any official capacity in, in like a credentialed school or anything like that. I just got, kind of grew up thinking that martial arts are neat and that fighting is cool <laughs> and that uh, combat sports athletes are pretty dangerous people that tend to be pretty colorful and so I suppose there's always been something that uh, made me gravitate towards it but uh, to move the, the more embarrassing details out of the way the reason I got into combat sports was because I watched uh, <laughs> to my shame uh, Mayweather versus McGregor uh, the boxing event uh, boxing is of course in enormous quotes with a like a 50 asterisk <laughs> on top of each word <laughs> but uh, yeah after watching this I kind of thought that this is this is this is shite I, I'd rather watch the real thing and have, thankfully the first uh uh, Triple G versus Canelo fights uh, happened not long after that, and needless to say, it got me really hooked. I've uh, been a an obsessive combat sports fan ever since. I've been studying footage, studying, uh, watching tape, as the common parlance goes. And uh, if this feels really choppy, because it is, I'm apologizing in advance because English is not my second is not my uh it's a second language or to be to be to be even more technical and strict it's not even a second language but rather a third language because uh the first two are russian and um the buryat dialect of mongolian so i suppose you're gonna have to tolerate it but i suppose the more i speak the better it will become but yeah, basically what I did for two years was uh, shut the hell up and study and uh, deep try and deepen my knowledge and broaden my horizons when it comes to combat sports. Watched all sorts of uh, all sorts of combat sports and all kinds of fights. There was a period, there was a shameful period in my lifetime when I thought that every fight is good actually on some level because i bought the stupid uh, joe rogan narrative that uh, every fight is somehow high level simply because it's happening in the ufc or is televised which is obviously something that's been dispelled rather quickly i've written and uh, been published uh, on the fight site naturally or the site where this is uh, the sites in which podcasts... Wait, let me figure this out. Let me figure this sentence out. It is in this website's podcast network I intend to publish this, hopefully, because if it's... Uh, because, of, co of course, the bare minimum <laughs> the podcast should be is be listenable. But yeah, basically, I've only just now arrived at a point where I feel comfortable talking about fights from an analysis standpoint and talking about combat sports from a, from I suppose, an educated amateur standpoint where I can kind of have a system of knowledge that's uh, in my head that I can, uh, that I can reference without sound sounding like a complete idiot. And uh, while posting about uh, how much. Uh, things in MMA annoy you or how hyped you are for the upcoming fights or etc etc uh, while it's fun it's not necessarily productive is it and uh, I've always had this mindset that um, 
I have to produce some sort of content, even if it's just, even if it's it's just a tweet thread. I, I always kind of put, I suppose, an an inordinate amount of effort into writing those. And I used to uh, do podcasting in Russian. Uh, it was mainly video game related, and uh, at this point, I figured, why not try podcasting? And here you are, and here I am. Pouring this dribble down your ears. Right, I have a uh, a list of bullet po- points outlined for this uh, pilot, so I suppose let's get it on. Spend ten minutes talking about random shit instead of what I wanted to actually talk about, which is a common occurrence, and uh, the reason why <laughs> the reason why. Uh, further episodes of uh, the Fight Sides MMA podcast haven't featured me as a guest anymore. <laughs> uh, no, the actual reason was that uh, the fights were shite and we couldn't actually, for the life of us, record anything worthwhile. Everything kind of boiled down to discussions about milking Costa's tits in the end. Which is... Which is, while fun, kind of warrants... Uh, a different show to talk about this thing (laughs) and I suppose I'm going to uh, make it my show so now it's a toss up between MMA Blackpilled and uh, Milking Milking the Giant Cow no Milking Costa Stitz no that's too specific too specific we're going to come up with a title by the end of this I assure you I'm gonna try my damnedest yeah shitty fights shit events uh, the entire month has been essentially a, a, just a, a one big puddle of uh, like a knee-deep liquid shit <laughs> that you, we, we had to kind of slog through to get to the good fights. And then immediately after Costa vs. Uh, Adesanya, there's going to be a a fight night card where the main event is uh, Holly Holm squaring up against Irene Aldana. Please be excited. Looking back, let's look back and kind of recount for what sort of events events we got and what sort of events we had to slog through. Uh, starting with, uh, I suppose, Lewis uh, versus Alainik, or if you want to say his name properly, Alainik. Going to be a lot of this, by the way. I'm kind of whenever I try and speak English like a like an English speaking person. Uh, I tend to kind of butcher the Russian, all the Russian names that I actually know how to pronounce in order to kind of... It's an automatic thing, so I can, can't control it. I suppose Louis Alenik was kind of fun, because it was sort of like a, a, a glimpse into the alternate dimension where flyweight and heavyweight switched places. <laughs> and we saw lots of scrambles, but uh, which nonetheless have been essentially squished by Lewis's uh, belly on belly technique as, uh, and, <laughs> and then Alenik's face got squished by Lewis's fists which was uh, I suppose kind of fun followed with Smith versus Rakic a just just a nothing event nothing of note happened nothing of note uh, could happen and it's just just a boring slog from beginning to the end Followed with Overeem vs Sakai, Overeem turning back the clock for the upteenth time, but except, except the clock itself is falling apart at the seams. Uh, it's kind of the the clock hands are rusted. The clock hands are rusted and falling apart. They they make squeaky noises, kind of like Stevie's wife's bed. Whenever he comes home, wait no. Kind of like, let me figure this joke out. I'm going to figure this joke out. Kind of like Daniel Cormier's wife's bat whenever Stevie comes home to visit as a guest because he's a firefighter and firefighters fuck other people's wives, you see. Especially cop cop wives. And cop wives don't mind. Like whenever their actual husbands come home. And this was all followed with Waters and Hill. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, not a lot to say about this one. Not about not a lot to say about any of them, which is why uh, I suppose the giant lull, the the massive lull, the silence, the radio silence, other words that mean a pause where no content is produced. And it's kind of been topped off with uh, Covington Woodley, which people refer to as a pay-per-view in disguise. To which the only thing I can say is that, get better standards, people, please. Uh, I also want this sport to be good, but uh, you shouldn't have to pretend that uh, things are good in order for them to be good. That's the opposite of making the sport better. Which is something I suppose is going to be a running theme throughout this uh, this pilot. How do you make things good? And it's going to be, it's kind of a running theme of my entire, of all my works uh, published on the fight site and of all of my, uh, all the stuff I've been posting on social media and uh, the stuff I kind of uh, feel very passionate about. But yeah, we kind of, kind of got the worst of the, the worst outcomes with this one. It's kind of like the bad ending of uh, Fight Night cards. And in retrospect, both outcomes kind of sucked ass because if, even if Woodley, uh, uh, an objectively much better person than Colby Covington, uh, won, we would have got the just a, just a torrent, a torrential downpour of uh, takes uh, that talk about levels to this shit, and that Woodley somehow back to his old form. A triumphant return to form to, to, for Tyron Woodley. The old Tyron Woodley that still did nothing. <laughs> still relied primarily, no, not primarily, solely on his right hand, which he didn't set up by anything ever. But uh, now we got the the other shitty outcome where an enormous dipshit and then just a, an all-around kind of a piece of shit and a, a real... And the real downright racist content, Kobe Covington winning, and uh, uh, I suppose the only thing that uh, can be found that is good in this outcome is that it allowed me to expand my block list to to such an extent. Uh, I feel like I feel like at this rate, I'm going to I'm going to give Kyle a run for his money in terms of how many people I blocked. <laughs> By Kyle, of course, I mean. I mean, Kyle McLaughlin, the, uh, the the founding father of this whole thing. Thankfully, not a racist founding father. There's a point to all this, uh, I assure you. Just bear with me. And then, before that, we kind of... Uh, we, we saw Dana White's show rear... I was going to say rear his ugly ass, but that, that doesn't make sense. He just didn't, he could show his face, and it's kind of kind of looks like an ass. Kind of looks ugly. It's pretty ugly. Uh, but yeah, <clears throat> the UFC brass stonewalled the hotly anticipated Dustin Poirier versus Tony Ferguson fight, which would have been a guaranteed banger. Two absolutely insane monsters, absolute. Absolute savages, absolute madmen, absolute. Uh, what's the other British word British people use to describe insane people that uh, fight real well? Anyway, what the fuck, Dana White? And he used the, his old song that uh, goes like, oh, he didn't want to fight, he didn't want to fight, he, he's kind of a pussy, yeah. Dustin Poirier, the insane madman that uh, whose who entire. Career consists of uh, back and forth, insane balls to the wall action brawls. Is a pussy, doesn't want to fight. Makes sense, and just despite him, uh, that's all. This is all because Dustin Poirier wanted to get paid what he actually, the amount that he actually deserves to be, to get paid, or be paid, or whatever the fuck. I don't know how the English language works. That's just. Just to spite him, and he negotiated a contract with Michael Chandler five years too late to book him as a... I don't know whether this is going to be like a... I don't know whether he's going to be a backup for either Khabib or 
KG if uh, either of them pulls out or just a an opponent for Tony I'm not really clear on that one but really how petty can you be Michael Chandler has been clamoring for this uh, UFC contract ever since 2012 I believe or 2015 at least and uh, to the point where it's now been made into a meme uh, predominantly by Jack Slack and now after Dustin Poirier presumably asked for like 500 grand instead of uh, 50k the UFC wanted to pay him for fighting Tony Ferguson in the co-main event to the one of the biggest cards this entire year and in the last three or five years aside from the of course Habib Connor fight card that uh, with Habib as a headliner these days is going to be a guaranteed financial hit which was quickly followed with uh, Nate Quarry in his um, encouraging news about the class action lawsuit uh, the move for a class action lawsuit against the UFC that will it, it kind of it, it all kind of coincided uh, with one another the 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 Poirier talks and the lawsuit news which is kind of funny but yeah in the beginning there were 1200 cases of fighters uh, providing evidence of uh, monopoly tactics and uh, being severely underpaid, underpaid and uh, you know, just coming shitty shitty practices at the UFC in terms of job security and all that and the move to, towards a class action lawsuit will mean that it's going to be one giant case uh, that has that presents evidence from uh, 1200 people and not something that the court will have to work through individually and as such it uh, bears a great deal more weight of course than uh, all those cases individually we shall see we'll see where this where this one goes and hopefully somewhere good somewhere that will allow fighters to actually not have a day job aside from being a fighter <laughs> like many people do like for example Jeff Neal uh, like I think he came out just saying this like uh, a couple of months ago that he had to return to his day job as a waiter I believe or as a server uh, because of the COVID nineteen situation, and then, and then he nearly died. Fighters simply just cannot catch a break in this industry. And uh, I suppose we have to follow this uh, encouraging bit of news with uh, uh, Justin Gagey and uh, Henry Cejudo, and of course, the perennial, the perennial MAGA soldier. Colby Covington being spotted with Ali Abdulaziz on uh, on a Trump rally. Uh, well, not exactly being spotted. Uh, all of them you know, proudly posted about this on the social media, and I suppose there's a caveat in uh, that you could say that uh, either Sahudo or Justin kind of just got paid to be there, uh, which I suppose is uh, not that far fetched. Both men kind of proved to be. Pretty savvy when it comes to generating bank as a an MMA fighter, which is uh, gotta respect the hustle, I guess. And uh, Justin, in particular, strikes me as your typical patriot athlete, like uh, proud to represent the USFA, rise and grind, uh, hard work pays off, all that kind of stuff. So I suppose an invitation from the president is something that just he couldn't turn on turn down on principle. One of those working class peoples that uh, working class people that turn out to be a conservative voter by sheer out of sheer ignorance. But the real highlight of the last week was uh, the discussion on Lord Mandalore's Twitter account about who would win in a fight: uh, <laughs> a grizzly bear or a silverback gorilla. Uh, to those who don't know, Lord Mandalore is a, a video gaming video game reviewer and a YouTuber very good one, uh, one that I uh, genuinely thoroughly recommend. 
I don't know if you can say thoroughly recommend. I don't know if that's a, a, a combination of words that actually works in the English language, but whatever. But yeah, it kind of revealed that a lot of people don't don't really understand how, like, how large bears are and <laughs> what sort of weapons they possess, sort of natural advantages they possess over the gorilla. Like, for example, uh, the first one being is that a bear is actually twice the size and twice as heavy as a, is a silverback, as a fully grown silverback. That's uh, in the prime year, in its prime years. Simply because everyone kind of, uh, I suppose, the King Kong movies broke everyone's brain uh, in terms of <laughs> what a gorilla is capable of. <laughs> fucking, fucking Calvin Cater can't adjust in the middle of a fight and fight like he, like not a Calvin Cater and the, the people expect a gorilla to adapt on the fly and like uh, invent a way, invent new ways of using their opposable thumbs <laughs> despite the fact that gorilla possesses uh, not doesn't possess nearly as much dexterity as a human does in terms of uh, when, when it comes to their fingers yeah just a highlight of my week well, yeah, what uh, what this um, uh, list of uh, things that uh, I found kind of annoying, which you, of course, your mileage, mileage. How do you say that? I'm gonna look this up. Wait, I'm gonna look this one up. Mileage, my yeah. mileage. Yeah, that one. It can vary, but I suppose uh, this whole thing comes down to institutions. It's something that it's uh, like the, it's the buzzword that's been haunting me ever since. Like I, I seriously got into discussing combat sports and just uh, things in general, uh, which is something I suppose that uh, could be called uh, Hax's fault. Hax is, of course, a great, a good friend of mine and good friend of the site. Uh, who's been featured on multiple episodes of the Danny and Sprigram's MMA podcast. Give him a listen. Very smart. Got a big brain, that fella. But yeah, by institutions, I mean, they're kind of like... There's really no kind of, no real system of uh, interconnected beliefs, interconnected principles that function in MMA. They're kind of... I mean, on the surface, they're kind of first, but it's really really disorganized it's really kind of it's all wild west sort of thinking like it's all and it by by and i mean for the longest time it used to be just a complete mishmash of uh, various concepts com conf uh, conflicting with each other the old prize fighting cynicism the old uh, entertainment industry wwe style uh deals like uh, heels versus faces etc etc uh, which is uh, kind of all got tied together with a just a hefty dose of corporatism uh, by corporatism I mean like the sort of sort of the model we can see uh, in the UFC right now where for, like for example with Dustin Poirier versus Tony Ferguson I, I can clearly see how the UFC brass saw this fight as being more lucrative for them short term if it were a headliner for a, for like a shitty fight night card because they've got a schedule they have to produce content and in order to sell this content they ha there, there has to be some like some some hook some like pretense of it uh, being good like a, a nice box like a nice box that hides uh, inside of it like a, a, a turd, essentially. So, so yeah, it's kind of a, all a, just basically just a, a racket. And really, when you kind of uh, look at this, uh, the, this model is it's un unsustainable. Uh, the, the sport itself suffers for it. Uh, the, the viewership suffers. The demographic doesn't grow. It's a kind of kind of like the comic book industry where they try and milk as much money from the existing fan base of weirdo nerds in order to make their bank, while not while 
not expanding the uh, the demographic or reaching for other sorts of them like demographics that uh, supposedly should be into comic books and and in fact making it so that it's hard to get into comics uh, by uh, doing things like variant covers like uh, uh, monthly events that happen across uh, 15 different comic books uh, written by different writers that barely form a coherent story about different characters <laughs> The UFC brass kind of just makes one to make bank and fuck off. The Daniel White's Tuesday Night Contender series is basically just them attempting to find some more meat to grind, but the problem is that Dana White is also a terrible fucking scout. <laughs> because everyone's... Um, I, I can count... I actually, no, I can't count them. I don't remember any of them. Every single Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender series alumni... I think this is how you say that word. This word. And... Uh, he ended up basically being a scrub. Either a scrub or a boring kind of sort of all-rounder that can, can't do any things particularly well. Or like a, a hire from Alaskan Regionals, <laughs> which they hired in favor of some like amazingly well-schooled and uh, uh, amazingly, amazingly well-schooled Russian with a tremendous grasp on uh, fighting fundamentals that's just murdering everyone in uh, organizations like ACA or other uh, like other fight organizations that feature feature those kinds of fighters because with the UFC if you don't speak good English good English you're kind of you're kind of basically you're, you're fucked you're going to you're either a silent violent Brazilian which is uh, a model they've kind of sort of managed to figure out through trial and error, a model of marketing they managed to figure out through trial and error. And uh, if you're a Russian, then you should be uh, like basically a Habib 2.0, like a, a massive suffocating grappler, while uh, strikers from the post-Soviet world, for example, people like Fiziev, Fiziev, are stuck on the undercard. They they do not understand how to market Russian strikers. Pyotr Yan is the exception, but uh, he's the exception solely because he's the exception in spite of the UFC model. He, he's a he's he's not really got much of a following when you think about it. Much like Justin Gagey, which is weird, but it's just a violent finisher. All his fights are incredibly violent. Either dominant and violent, or just back and forth and violent, and he, which ends up with him uh, securing a dominant finish that is incredibly violent. And uh, the sole, like, the shitty, the... Wait, I'm going to come up with a joke. I'm going to come up with a funny sentence. Give me a moment. The parasitic worm used as a bow to tie off to tie up this this uh this shit package this package made out of shit this package made out of shit is uh is top heavy pay-per-views once a month with nothing worthwhile on them outside of the main event and like this sort of thing will make even the most dedicated fans lose interest eventually I mean, to say nothing of those who tune, tune in strictly for the big events with big names like the Connor fights. Like, in order to make bank in the UFC, you either have to be Connor big or you're going to end up with no breathing room and no, and, and no leverage to negotiate with. And they won't allow anyone. And like, Moni, uh, an amazing person who's a prominent MMA Twitter account uh, and a, a great artist... Follow her at uh, Mon Sneaks. Uh, and she pointed out that they won't allow anyone to be Connor Big, uh, which is the real problem. Nate, Nate, for example, is kind of Connor Big. Jorge was on his way, but uh, he got sidelined with that uh, uh, short notice Usman fight. And they won't allow anyone to get that big again because Connor transcended the UFC and they couldn't control him anymore. And uh, even Kona, in the end, didn't really get the slice he wanted because he wanted a share of the UFC, as uh, you might all remember. And now Kona is basically just a retired uh, sex offender alcoholic. 
<laughs> Just a sad, sad end. And it kind of ties back to the point about uh, polit po politics and sports. Sports and politics. Uh, sports and politics! Two things people desperately want to be separate, which are... N which will never be and never were. Because, if you remember, the first uh, Million Gate boxing fight, uh, the first boxing fight to break the Million Gate uh, benchmark was... Uh, was uh, Jack Dempsey versus Georges Carpentier, uh, if I am pronouncing that name correctly, which uh, was promoted by, by the legendary boxing promoter Tax Ricard. And uh, the way they banked, the way they promoted this fight was uh, basically based on nationalism. The the old uh, the old American hero versus the this is basically a uh, well a filthy French a filthy Frenchman that uh, that eats frogs and is ugly. Unlike. Uh, Unlike Jack Dempsey, the real American hero and the literal hobo. <laughs> uh, which is, I suppose, kind of, well, uh, things were a bit more diff diff uh, complicated than that. Campontier was uh, seen as a war hero, and uh, Jack Dempsey was uh, seen as a loser draft dodger. But there were more ways you could look at this. What I what I mean uh, by that is uh, basically politics has always been a good way of selling fights. The two go hand in hand. The Rumble in the Jungle, a fight, uh, incidentally, that's been uh, the venue for which and the promotion of which and uh, all that kind of logistical stuff was uh, handled by an African dictator. The fight took place in Kinshasa, Zaire, now Democratic Republic of the Congo, which was at the time, of course, run by the well, uh, Buthu Seseko was his name. <laughs> took me a moment there, and. Uh, Muhammad Ali was uh, touted as a great champion for the cause of uh, uh, black power and uh, equality, while George Foreman was vilified as a as a sellout and a representative of the colonial powers, which was uh, kind of exacerbated by his social faux pas that he committed by bringing his German shepherds into Zaire. He was a notorious. He was a, a, a he. He's a great dog lover, uh, but uh, this particular breed of dogs was used by the colonial colonial authority to uh, torture torture locals, torture to to, to 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 fuck to torture the Congolese at the time, Zaireans. Uh, of course, there this is just a denonym, not uh, the name of the individual peoples that lived there. But yeah, this is what uh, the uh, basically what the white colonial powers did to, to torture black people and um, harass them and sick, sick those dogs on them. And this is a tactic that, that's that been employed by Ali's promoters and Ali himself uh, many times. Uh, with, uh, an especially damning example was uh, the, his promo campaign against, uh, against uh, Joe Frazier. Uh, whom he notoriously called uh, an Uncle Tom and a rabbit, despite himself coming from a relatively well-off family, well, well, as far as as uh, well-off as black families uh, could go back in, in those days. Meanwhile, Joe Frazier came from the... You know, was a, a genuine article in terms of coming from the ghetto. He was, uh, he was, if anyone's been impressed in his life, it was uh, Joe Frazier. He's uh, experienced the worst uh, things uh, America of that time could offer. I'm not saying, of course, that Muhammad Ali was a privileged man in, by any metric. 
if you're black and you lived in those days and if you're black and you live today you have to you have to deal with all sorts of uh, awful people on a daily basis and an awful system on a daily basis which is something i can sympathize with being uh being mongolian uh, that that's uh, that lives in russia and been born in russia what I'm getting at is that combat sports and prize fighting as a concept started out as something inherently shady. Pugilism and prize fighting in, its, in their modern form uh, took shape as uh, first uh, first took shape as shady rich aristocrats just uh, with uh, too money, too much money to spare and uh, an, an inordinate amount of free time on their hands. Betting on weird stuff out of boredom. Basically, that's what what that's what combat sports started out as. And you can can see this thing right now happening right now, right before our eyes, with uh, our Colby Covington using the uh, MAGA soldier angle to harass Tyron Woodley, who is uh, an outspoken Black Lives Matter supporter, to generate bank, and it's something he does in every fight. But the thing is, after a certain point, where does a gimmick end and an actual person begin? When you really look at the UC right now in its current state, um, which is something that uh, Karim Zidane in his, uh, pointed out in his excellent articles on Bloody Elbow about the... Uh, I suppose radicalization of uh, the UFC. I don't know if that that's the actual title. I don't believe it is, but uh, the point was that Dana White is an open supporter of uh, Donald Trump, and Trump is uh, apparently a big fan of the UFC, and he has has been a big fan of combat sports for a long time. With his uh, what's with him granting his venues uh, for use as a as an arena. For the Mike Tyson fights, the Trump Plaza has been used as a venue for Mike Tyson fights many, many times. And you, I suppose you could say that it's kind of uh, there's a, a, another, another factor at play here, which is the UFC corporatism uh, that's uh, inherently rooted in uh, in a short-term profit-seeking mindset. That's uh, that's more about not worrying about your bedfellows and kind of generating bank where money is uh, money is to be had and uh, at this stage this is uh, the money is with those in power or at least they believe that to be the case and uh, they believe the predominant market is uh, the conservative crowd because since uh, everyone's been this since that crowd's been turned turned away by Things like um, NFL athletes and uh, NBA athletes speaking out against social injustice and all that. And uh, that crowd, as a rule, hates anyone who gets uh, too big for their boots, so to speak. And the UFC saw a potential market in there and they kind of gobbled it all up. But uh, there is also an argument to be, to be made that... Uh, combat sports and fighting in general kind of uh, is something that uh, your typical men are becoming soft the world is going to shit crowd tends to gravitate because it's uh, it's uh, fighting is primal fighting is violent fighting is a manly art or at least it's been painted this way since uh, the Hellenistic times which is uh, incidentally uh, an era in uh, the human history that's been uh, co-opted and romanticized by <laughs> new, uh, legitimate neo-Nazis time, time and again, and imperialists as well. Well, that's kind of neither here nor there. It's uh, it's, uh, it's uh, a topic in itself, a giant can of worms. Yeah, but the the problem with this, it's kind of like, yeah, if even if you accept the argument that the sports are becoming too political, which is uh, which is a take I. I disagree, uh, disagree with vehemently. You could argue that from a business standpoint, it's kind of swung back in the opposite direction into the, into, 
the other kinds of kind of politics, the sort of politics that's uh, and um, my argument, well, the point of my argument is that many people are complaining about sports becoming too political simply because uh, people are bringing up uh, points that don't don't uh, gel with your personal politics, which is uh, that I, which is something that I believe to be the case with many an MMA fan. Many people can find this annoying. And uh, many people can find this alienating, and, and I absolutely sympathize with that. And uh, reading about uh, the combat sport, reading about combat sports news, is something that makes me feel deeply unhappy at times. Which is saying something because <laughs> I live in Siberia <laughs> and I regularly uh, see. Well, here's a fun exercise for you to to uh, to to take to to do whatever try and tune in for uh the russia today news russia today news broadcast uh, try and watch it for more than 2 hours and uh, and then and then fact check every single point that they've brought up talking about the about russia essentially you can you can you can't even for go fact checking it actually and googling every every uh, bullet point presented and just kind of assume the opposite, and you'd be mostly right. <laughs> this is uh, what's it like to be a Russian citizen nowadays. So really, uh, to my Western listener listeners, Western followers, Western mutuals, particularly uh, American ones. Uh, don't be so sad. Uh, things can always get worse. <laughs> but yeah, I suppose this is uh, this is something of an intro to my uh, hopefully upcoming works. Something that I feel I kind of uh, it's something that's uh, not uh, not discussed at length and not discussed in depth. Uh, the question of institutions in combat sports, the institution of combat sports as a phenomenon, and what it entails, inner workings of it, uh, the historical and cultural context for all things that happen. Because while these things sometimes, while these things sometimes happen in MMA, they happen, they also happen for a reason. Those reasons are deeply rooted in the historical and cultural con uh, context of uh, combat sports itself. Uh, it's an interesting topic I feel fairly passionate about and something that I wish to create content about and uh, hopefully this this uh, preview didn't alienate you people too much. <laughs> uh, by you people I mean MMA fans and just uh, people marginally interested in combat sports. This has been uh, a bit of an, an unscripted rambly mess. I just kind of wanted, sort of wanted to outline um, where I'm coming from here, what, uh, and introduce myself. And politics and uh, all that stuff is not the only things I wish to talk about, of course, because even I am not, am not uh, equipped to deal with this shit on a daily basis. <laughs> if I were forced at gunpoint. To produce a weekly digest, a digest, a weekly news digest, a weekly show about politics and uh, politics and combat sports, but in particular, I just uh, just ask them to, sh to shoot myself, to shoot me. I'm just going to tell them, just just do it, <laughs> just end this. I have no interest in experiencing in experiencing this. I've been following the news in combat sports for quite a while now. And a bullet to the head is something that <laughs> would be a bit of a new experience for me. <laughs> and a definitely a more pleasant one than just reading reading about uh, yet another fighter turning out to be an anti-vaxxer or something like that. Which is just, just disheartening. People who are able to uh, separate the fighter from the person... And just kind of not bother themselves, not not bother learning about anything else aside from watching their fights. I really envy you. 
like no joke this i genuinely genuinely kind of uh envy the sort of enjoyment you could possibly uh have the fun you have watching the sports just uh, just for the fights uh it's something that i wish i still had but i obviously don't anymore but yeah thankfully next week uh we got or this week rather we got adesanya versus costa finally a good fight one that is genuinely extremely compelling and uh, interesting and deep the build up itself has been fairly bizarre <laughs> with uh, costa with, uh, with it basically being costa pronouncing declaring his uh, uh in a conan the barbarian fashion declaring his eternal love for israel desanya and israel desanya playing hard to get which is kind of uh, kind of the dynamic of the fight itself which is something we're going to see in the octagon and some, except expressed with the uh, punches and kicks instead of uh uh shirts ripped up being ripped open and live on air <laughs> another sanya striking uh jojo's bizarre adventure poses we got that to look forward to and uh of course the gage versus khabib fight so maybe just maybe there's not even going to be enough material for me to bitch about in terms of combat sports news but and uh, maybe you'll see maybe you'll hear me more excited to, to talk about combat sports than this <laughs> yeah this is, has been kind of a therapeutic experience for me of a sort i really enjoy speaking about things much more than writing about them funnily enough uh, despite the fact that i find that whenever I write something, I can actually formulate and express myself in a much more coherent way, which is something I believe that's true for everyone, or at least a significant portion of you. Yeah, I'm now kind of thinking against calling this MMA black belt, because it's kind of a depressing title, and Bloody Elbow already has MMA depressed us, hosted, of course, by Conor Rebush and Zane Simon, and uh, Phil McKenzie, the boy Phil McKenzie. But yeah, subscribe to the Fight Side channel. Uh, give <laughs> give them money uh, on Patreon. They make good stuff. Listen to Danny and Sriram's podcast; it's really good. And read my articles that I have published on that had had been published on the Fight Side, uh, namely the UFC's Meatpacking Plan series. Uh, it's a three-parter. Uh, part four, hopefully coming uh, sometime in the future. The first part kind of started out as uh, me just bitching about, bitching about, bitching about things I don't like, and you know, kind of grew in scope. The third part concerns fight, fighting fundamentals and how MMA kind of uh, sucks at employing them, and MMA camps in particular suck at employing them and instilling them, making their fighters internalize their MMA fundamentals. Read that if you want it. I put a lot of effort into writing that one. Much more effort <laughs> than in recording this podcast, naturally. But yeah, looking forward to your feedback and stay tuned. Dahin, Ozotra, Berteh.